it. Hello everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast, the number one Luton Town podcast, and the only podcast that's gone from League Two all the way to the Premier League. I'm Kev, your host as always. Uh, welcome along. Uh, joining me just for this episode, the Aston Villa Review episode, it's the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe. James, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm alright, considering. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get stuck into this, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, uh, yeah, coming up on this episode of the podcast then, we will look back at Aston Villa 3, Luton Town 1. Tough tough away day at the office, that one. But before we start, thank you to everyone who watched our preview podcast. There were thousands of you that watched the preview podcast. So many comments, a lot of them from Aston Villa fans, really respectful. Guys, we have absolutely no problem respecting opposition teams on this podcast, uh, unless they're entitled and deluded like those idiots on the east side of the Midlands. The week before we draw the line there but James you got to give respect where it's due which we did in the build-up and unfortunately everything we worried about kind of came true really a real tough day at the office for the town. There are just so many different areas from which they can get you isn't it and we highlighted the fact that Ollie Watkins for example was on fire goal scoring wise but if he's not then his mate gets you and <laughs> it's what happened so yeah um, I don't think it's that prophetic really it's just that I mean, that's how good Aston Villa are at the moment. Yeah, indeed. I mean, they're a good side. You've got to be a good side to win 12 on the trot at home in any league, least of all in the Premier League. And um, look, we'll come on to some positives later. There were positives and we will talk about them. Um, But let's talk about the game itself first. First of all, the team selection. James, I think there was a bit of a curveball thrown from Rob Edwards to have Gabe Osho in from the start. The fact that he played an hour in the development game kind of suggested he was going to be involved in the match. Otherwise, he'd have played the whole 90 minutes of the development game. But to start, that was a bit of a surprise. But the real good thing with the um, team sheet, Ross Barkley on the starting sheet for the first time. And um, that feels like that's going to be significant going forward. Well, yeah, and the fact that he got 90 minutes, I suppose, as well. I mean, he didn't see much of the action, really, but that's not... Just him, was it? That was a lot of Luton players. So only had 29% possession the whole game. So, um, yeah, we thought of his cameo the, the game before that he deserved a start and he might get a start because of um, previous selections that happened. And that's that's how, it's, uh, that's how it turned out. So, and that was good to give him 90 minutes when you're taking the likes of Nicambra off. Says to me that they need to get the minutes into his legs. Um and yeah, I mean, it it wasn't the game for Luton yesterday at all. Anyone, so you can't really single out Ross Barkley, but um, to to give that as a a little positive going forward, anyway. Then you know, if if Luton are going to do anything, they need big players to to play at their maximum, and um, he's one of those that, with the potential to do that. So um, yeah, it was a it was a yeah good good run out really. Yeah, it was. Yep. It wasn't the hardest 90 minutes for us, to be fair, because Luton were in shape an awful lot of the time. So I'm guessing that's why he played 90 minutes. If it was a 
kind of frantic game like the Brighton game was, for example, he might only have been able to do 65 minutes. But I suppose that was one thing about the town's low block. No one really shifted and deviated from the positions. There weren't like sprinting here, there and everywhere. So it was a fairly easy or routine 90 minutes for us. But yeah, the minutes are going to add up. And as I said, we will pick some positives out. That is very much one of them. So the town went back to a back five, having been in back four for a lot of uh, recent games. So we'd kind of gone back to the formation that we used at Fulham, which worked so well at Fulham, but for the Kaminsky, um, Kaminsky mistake for their goal. But if you're going to go that kind of defensive in a 5-4-1 formation, and I understand it, they're a damn good side. They're scoring for fun. What was it, 17 in four before we pitched up? So, you know, we've actually hurt their goal average at home, so Mm -hmm. to speak, having only conceded three. Only Crystal Palace, the other team, to have conceded three there uh, this season. Everyone else has gone four or six. The alternative, obviously, was, you know, to be a bit more open and try and get at them. But then if you watch the Brighton game or you watch the West Ham game, that's not going to work. They're just going to pick you off. So we went the defensive route that did work for us in the main against Fulham. But when you do when you do, do that, the one thing you cannot do is concede a sloppy goal from a set piece. And it wasn't even a great set piece, was it? It was a great worked set piece. But the pass to McGinn was bobbling all over the place. So he couldn't hit it first time, which I'm sure was the whole idea that he runs onto it and spanks it in the top bins. So we had to like check out. So we kind of forced that out of him. And then we still let the shot get through to the goal. Well, even though it's gone through a body of people, someone just put something in the way of it. I think Rob was said after the, um, after the game, that was the big disappointment that we had so many bodies there. No one could get a block on it. And it was just such a soft goal to concede. And really and truly in that first half, I never thought that they were opening us up at will I mean, they dominated the game at first half. Don't get me wrong. Shots were flying here, there and everywhere. But apart from the Kaminsky save against Watkins at 0-0, he wasn't overworked in that half. So to concede a sloppy goal from a set piece, Rob must be pulling his hair out. Yeah. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's the block situation. I mean, yeah, once you've given McGinn the space, then you need to get out there quicker and block him. But he shouldn't have that much space. I mean, it's one thing playing a low block, but not not so deep in your own penalty area that there's three Villa players on the edge of it, not anyone near them. So I don't. I, I think he's, you know, he's right that they should have got out and they tried a bit harder to block it, but he shouldn't have had the space to drive in there anyway. And yeah, it's, it's pretty poor because that he he's been in good goal scoring form. For club and country, relatively speaking, anyway, for midfielder, anyway, and he, he he's got a decent shot on him. In the end, he didn't have to have a decent shot; it just went through a a, a melee of bodies to get in. And uh, I suppose that probably unsighted Kaminsky somewhat as well. But you, you just can't give that much space to a team that is flying like they were. Um, it's it's it is really really soft. The the, the fact that he managed to burst into the box and fire it through three players is adds to the frustration of it. But, you know, you've got to look at the first act of that passage of play and how has he got that much space in the, the area? Yeah, that is, that, that's absolutely true. Whether they were looking at Diaby, who the way it was set up, it always looked like he was going to dummy it. 
uh, whether they were looking too much at him or not. And if they were, then I mean, fair play because we saw why in the second half. I'm not overly sure it was a free kick to begin with, though. I think Digny throws himself at Kabore. I mean, you can't suddenly just evaporate, can you? It's like, you know. Yeah, but that's the game, isn't it? We've got, got to learn that. And and Kabore as well is relatively new to the game, uh, the English game anyway. Played a lot in Marseille, but... That's an that's an element of football all across the world now. So he would have got that in League One as well in France that people, if you touch them, they go down because you get that advantage. You get to pick out a set piece and they've been pretty good at set pieces as well. Everybody talks about Luton, but Aston Villa have as well. So um, you've got to show a bit more nous really there, I think. And yeah, I think he had a tough afternoon, um, Kabore against Dina. It's no slight against them because they've been they've been absolutely fantastic, Aston Villa, the, the way they've been playing, and they do use their wing backs. And Matty Cash got involved as well, so it was on the other side, so it's, it wasn't just him. You know, Doughty found it tough as well, and in that respect, so. But um, yeah, it's it's a massive, massive learning curve that I think that. Yeah, you don't expect to get nobody expect to get much from um, Aston Villa, but what you have to take away from it is those big learning points. And that's one of them, I think. Yep. Certainly would agree with that. At halftime though, one nil, not really been in the game. If we're being honest, I think at halftime we had, we'd had 23% of possession and most of them ended up with the linesman's flag going up. He was a serious member of the fun police, the linesman in that first <laughs> half. Tell me, I'm telling you. And whereas his other one on the opposite side was at least 30 yards behind the plate all the time. I'm not actually sure that that saved that. Kaminsky made from Watkins. Watkins was anywhere near onside, but the line was miles behind. He was never going to um, flag. Um, but yeah, then half time came and Zaniolo's been booked. So he's obviously hooked before he gets the chance to get another one. And they bring Leon Bailey on and they did exactly this against West Ham the week before. And all of a sudden they've that brings Diaby inside and it's like, it's like the Alamo from this point, you know, that ball over the um, channel. Gabor showed didn't do nothing wrong in the game, really, but that ball was on all day. Kamara just, I mean, literally the, the pass was on all the time. And, um, you know, that got us for the third goal when they got Diaby in for the second one. You know, again, could we do a little bit more to stop the cross coming in? I think it's a little bit lucky from Bailey at the back stick because I don't think he's heading that down for Diaby. I think he's come off completely the wrong side of his head. I don't think he knows anything about it. Does he's jumped up for does the ball. He? It doesn't look like it. He's going for I, goal. I've and looked it, at it many times yeah, and I'm, it doesn't look like he knows where that's going. But no. that's the fortune you get when yeah. you're in, in the form that Villa are in. But um, well, yeah, once I'm, it's landed at his feet. 50 million quid, that's not ending up anywhere other than the I mean, back of his net, is it? It was so, a great strike. Really, it was. Isn't it? I mean, I've um, got to say. When you look back on it, the replay as well, I mean, it doesn't even have to actually pulverise it as much as he does, but it's a fantastic strike. You've got to give him that. I've got to say, we've come up against some real good footballers this season. He's the best I've seen so far. He was absolutely. I mean, we said that if we, you know, if we can keep Watkins quiet, we might be okay. This bloke was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. None of that shenanigans. He was absolutely superb. I mean, he's run for the third goal. He's literally standing still. Alfie and um, I think it was Gabe was still on the pitch at this time. They've got him. No worries. And then all of a sudden he's put this afterburners on and he's just whizzed past them. And Kamara knows he's going. Just plays the ball over the top. And I would tell me 
there's nothing he can do really is it? it's right in front of his goal and to be fair even if he'd managed to somehow keep the ball out of the net I think Watkins was lurking somewhere in and around he'd have just poked it in anyway but he just we could not cope with Diaby all afternoon it was just a brilliant performance and I don't like giving opposition players credit because I'm there to support Luton but in this league in particular sometimes you just got to give credit where it's due like we did with Raheem Sterling when we played Chelsea this bloke was just far too good for us there's going to be loads of games like that. We we know that. And so far, I guess we haven't had to play. The, I mean, we're coming up to this run of games now where this is going to be maybe a feature. Hopefully not, you know, to the detriment of Luton in any way. But the likelihood is that Luton are going to be under the pump quite significantly against Liverpool and, and Man United. And, it's going to, and it started with Aston Villa, obviously. So that's what £50 million a player gets you. But it's, it's cut rules football, isn't it, really? It's they've got to play less than their abilities and Luton have got to be perfect almost. And, you know, if they're, if they're on it, which they were obviously from the very first minute, Luton didn't really, they didn't have anything going for them for 20, 25 minutes. Um, and then Chio got on the ball a bit, which, you know, we, we, we highlighted as an out ball, but I mean, that's, that's just something that, it's going to have to happen. We, we know this. Rob's talked about it. No, nobody's surprised about it because they're going to have to ride luck. Goalkeepers are going to have to make saves. They're going to have to maybe miss a few, that stuff like that, to get anything against these big sides. And that's the same as it would be in any cup game when you're the underdog. It's just just how it is, really. So it's it's not surprising. Um, and, yeah, you do have to give them props when you see it. But, um, yeah, it's it's a daunting one when you're coming up this block of games now. I think what I liked about Villa on Sunday is there will be teams in this league that will they'll look at it as like little old Luton, take their foot off the gas, maybe not be on it and everything. But Unai Emery in the lead up to the game, I saw his press conference and he was like, no, Luton have won at Everton. They've drawn at Knott's Forest. They deserve respect. And they gave us that respect. And you kind of thought, oh, no, don't give us respect. Because <laughs> if you don't give us respect, we've got a chance. But one, they were so serious. They knew our weak spot in between Doughty and Osho. They, were, they obviously knew Osho was playing his first game of the season. And that ball over the top, it was cash in the first half, wasn't it? And then it was Diaby and Bailey in the second half. And it's like, we just couldn't stop it. And it was one of those things. However, there were positives to come from the game. And the positive, I mean, the big overriding positive for me yet again, in the last 20 minutes, there was no white towel, you know, if this was a heavyweight boxing contest, the ref stopped it like three rounds in. But there was no towel. You look the day before, Sheffield United were 3-0 down in exactly the same situation at Arsenal and the towel went in. It clearly went in. That's not the case with Luton. They've kept on going till the end and they've got their reward. Okay, Aston Villa gave us the reward. But I suppose you could only argue that they levelled out the goal that we gave them. <laughs> but you just don't know at the end of the season how valuable that goal was going to be. If we stay up by one goal, just for going right till the end, we've got our reward. And that's the second week in succession that we've gone right to the end and we've got a reward. Okay, we've not got a point reward for this one. But who knows? Goal difference could be a massive feature down there. I mean, Sheffield United's one's already wiped out, basically, isn't it? That's like we're a point ahead of them on goal difference grounds now. We're still ahead of Bournemouth, even though they went above us on Saturday and we're ahead of Burnley. You just don't know. So every little thing that you can get, even in these games where you're going to take a pound in, just might get something. You know, if, if Burnley go there and get done five or whatever, 
then we've gained on them, haven't we? That's exactly it. Um, it's, it's a confidence thing as well. If you're if you're going towards the end of the game and you're continuing to go, it shows you've got fight in you. And I think the crowd feed off that as well. But there's an element of, you know, maybe muscle memory as well, because if it's a different scoreline or a different ending than it was yesterday and you're going for something, then you've got that in your locker where you've gone after teams or, or not, not necessarily gone after Villa, that's the wrong phrasing, but kept up the, the kept your heads high and kept going for it. And, you know, you get a reward like that every now and again when, when that happens, when it goes, <laughs> it was a magnificent own goal, wasn't it? Oh, it's but, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's some some shot, uh, some header and <laughs> ricochet that, but you take it. But, um, yeah, that is, the whole point of that is, you know, to maintain morale, show that you can do it, uh, keep going, players still fighting for their places. Everything about it screams to your team that's not, well, we know this anyway, but the 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 wider media thinks Luton are doomed, and everything they do is pointless, and they're going down. And that sort of thing shows to us, at least, that that's nonsense. We knew it anyway, but you have to show it to people as well. I mean, it's an attribute, isn't it? You know, skill, technique, and all of this are attributes, but also so is desire, pride, work rate. And we've got those in abundance. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a comical own goal. I mean, who'd have said a World Cup winner would score a goal for Luton Town just all when we were playing in the conference 10 years ago. But I mean, there it is. And, and what a cracking diving header it was too, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I, I digress. But, but also, in the build-up to that goal, some nice football actually down in that right wing between Chio Kabore, uh, Pelly into Townsend yet another cross he's not going to get that assist like he got the assist at Notts Forest because Elijah touched the ball before concert but another good cross into a dangerous area where on another day Elijah might have got that down and had a shot off himself so yet again Townsend's come off the pit uh, off the bench sorry and influenced the match slightly longer this time as well you kind of think it's not long before we'll be giving him 90 minutes maybe not the next two because it's going to be all hands to the deck in the next two but certainly that Palace game after the international break former club mm-hmm. it's kind of got a Townsend 90 minutes written all over it Osho 60 minutes real positive having Osho back for 60 minutes and I thought I thought in the centre of the park Barkley and Nakamba were disciplined they were on a hard into nothing there's four against two in there you know it's so, and we said that in the preview podcast, it's, it's a, it was always going to be a tough ask, but they stuck to their task well. And in these games, that's all you can do, really. And if we do stop making the mistakes at the back and you stick to your task well and you're nil-nil after 65 or 70 minutes and that expectant crowd does turn, you don't, and we keep going right to the end, that last 20 minutes could yield something. We only need to do it in, what, two away games? Pick up four points or something, and that could be the difference. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, there's a case to say that the Luton play better when the substitutes all came on. Well, three of them anyway. You, you've got to look at Town, Townsend, Adebayo, um, Pelly, and Pelly. Sorry, yeah, when they came on. On the flip side, you've, you've probably got to concede that maybe Villa or on Easy Street then maybe take the foot off the gas. Yeah, they were. I mean, they only brought Yuri Tielemans and um, Diego Carlos and Den yep. Donker and. I mean, Premier League Easy Street's a bit. <laughs> more than we've used to but um, yeah there's a case to say that 
you know, they they knew they won the game and they weren't going for it as much as they had been, which maybe is a testament to Luton because they have been going towards going to the end themselves and rattling the goals of how they've racked up so many. Um, so that maybe that's a good thing for Luton as well, another plus point. Um, but yeah, it, it was good to see the the cameos there. Whether it was the starting one from Osho, obviously much needed, almost. What, what you're going to do is almost enforced. The, it's ridiculous at the moment, the, the hamstring situation and the defensive injuries they've got. I think Bell's on his way back, maybe touch and go for for Liverpool. But, you know, it it was a, it was a surprise to see Osho in the starting lineup, but it also wasn't because you know, God, what are you going to do? You're not, you're not got that many options. You've got to give them a go. But, um, some baptism of fire really to play against that side, but we know what Gabe Osho's like. He'll, he'll, he'll soak that up and and take it on board and hopefully get up to speed quite quickly. Um, and then when the other players do come back, then you've you've got much more options and and that'll be a good thing. So um, yeah, that, I think that that last period was a was a positive one um, and, and good for what happens next, the going forward because you can you can already almost see it. I don't want to doom them or anything, but they, they seem to be doing that themselves. But Sheffield United seemed... Sheffield United seemed like everything that everyone is saying about Luton. And still they're not saying anything about Sheffield United. It doesn't seem that way anyway. No, but they're taking the league seriously, aren't they? I mean... Well, yeah, they spent loads of money, didn't they? But, um, you know, they... And Burnley as well, to be fair... You, you know, if they didn't, if they didn't score that worldie against Luton, they'd have one point from the whole ten games or whatever it is. And nobody's talking about those two teams in the way that they still are talking about Luton. I mean, I, I can't be bothered with it anymore at the moment. It's like, you know, people are setting that opinion, and fair play, you can have it, but it, the the facts of it doesn't really bear out really. And yes, Luton dropped down into the relegation zone after the weekend because of the result against Bournemouth uh, and and Burnley but you can't really uh, you can't really angle those accusations at Luton I don't think um, yet they are yeah I think Luton are outperforming what we are and what we've got and those two teams are seriously underperforming what they've done and who they are so from that point of view we shouldn't really be copying the stick that we're copying um a couple of talking points to come out of the game then james i just want to get your opinions on first and foremost the way luton set up in the game five four one very much a low block very much containing rather than the the other way which would be i guess kind of like we did against brighton where we look to take them on in a game of football you're okay with with the way that Rob set the team up and everything else, the alternative is Aston Villa six, Brighton one. The way is the way I see it. You go go toe to toe with a team of this magnitude, it gets messy quickly. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, really, aren't you? But you've got to go with the long game, really, on the whole. Um, what do you do against a team like them? Same with what probably happened against Liverpool. I know you've got to play a bit different because you're going to be at home, but. If you go gung-ho against those teams and they rip you open, as Newcastle did against Sheffield United, for instance, it is a morale crusher. And if you have too many of those, you're going to be up shit street, really. 
Um, so I think you've, again, it's cut rules and you've got to try and keep it tight and nick something. Um, I know there'll be people saying you've got, you've got to try and give, you've got to do more and but you've got to realise the quality of these teams that you're coming up against, particularly Aston Villa. You know, you take out Liverpool and Tottenham and Man City and they're the form team. They are the form team, actually. They're top well, I of the think form. you can include Liverpool in that. I think they've got more wins and more points since Emery took charge in the Premier League. It's just a year and a few days. Mm, yeah. They've got more wins and more points than Liverpool. So it is only Man United and Arsenal. Sorry, Man United? No, not Man United. Man City <laughs> and Arsenal. I think you need to double Man United, Stanley. Man City and Arsenal, who've got more points than Aston Villa since Unai Emery's come in. Well, that, that says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean... It's a wonderful job that he's done there and you've got to applaud that uh, and you've got to respect what they, all their threats, which are everywhere, as we saw. Um, you know, you keep one player quiet, the other one pops up and as a stormer, um, even Bailey when he came on, yeah, I don't, I agree with you, he doesn't really know where that head is going for the, for Diaby's goal, but he was menace as well. Uh, Dina had a field day, so did Matty Cash and and they were well drilled. They knew where the they knew where the pressure points were and they hit them every time. Yeah, I mean, there were a few people around me, um, not criticising, but I think I got the impression they'd like to have seen Luton be a bit more uh, not gung ho, but positive in their approach. But the thing is, even if you get to their central defenders, and they're bloody hard enough to get to in the first place. But even if you get to them, they've got two pivots right in front of them. So if you have them under pressure, one of them is always going to be free. And when one of them gets the ball, they're gone. And it's, you know, it's in your back line in next to no time, whether it's that ball over the top to Bailey, Diaby, whoever, Cash, whoever it may be, or just passing it to, I mean, you've got midfield four that start the game of Kamara, who looked a bit of a Rolls Royce, Douglas Louise, who is like the modern Rolls Royce. And then you've got, if they're not good enough, you've got John McGinn and Zaniolo, who I must admit, wasn't overly impressed by him on the day, but clearly there's a footballer in there as well. It's a good job he didn't have his shooting boots on for a start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you've got four central midfielders in there to help out this defence. And it's like, yeah, they defend high. And yes, you should be able to get in behind them. But actually, when you find out that you ain't got the ball very often and you've got these four waiting for the ball, if you do mess up, it's so hard to... Um, to be kind of too critical. I think if we'd kept the game at nil-nil and that set-piece goal hadn't happened and we'd got through to half-time, which we've actually done quite well, as I said in the preview podcast, we've got well got through to half-time well, but that first 10 minutes after the second half, we flagged it up against uh, after Notts Forest yet again as another goal conceded in that first 10 minutes. And it's like, all the work's undone again. Three games in a row now, isn't it? And it's not even just those three games. There's been other times throughout the season where... It's if it's not the ten minutes after, it's the ten minutes before half time and that's really causing a massive problem and I don't know what that is. And I kinda wanna say that the Premier League teams are more drilled at putting on putting your foot on the gas in those moments because they know that they can be pivotal. I think that's probably the case. We saw it a couple of times in the championship, but not as often because they're not as lethal. But at the same time, if you know it's happening, then you've got to try and stop that, haven't you? But um, it's one thing to say you've got to try and stop it and, and doing it at the moment, looting with a depleted defence as well. Um, 
but it, it kills you, doesn't it? Because relatively speaking, one nil at half time is just decent, you know, decent in the sense that of the scoreline, not as not in the sense that they were much in the game at all. Yeah, because I mean, at one nil, you're a set piece away from equalising and getting something out of the game. Mm. Two nil, you, everyone knew the result at two nil. It was just what the result would be. Everyone knew that there was no coming back for 2-0 because then if you want to get it back into the game like we did against Knott's Forest where we threw attacker after attacker after attacker on, that that gets nasty the other end far too quickly. So I've no problem with Rob's defensive approach. I've no problem with setting up that 5-4-1 stroke 5-2-3 stroke 3-4-3 or however you want to line the dots up on the Sabutio pitch. But if we're going to go down that route, we've got to not, have our goalkeeper mess up like he did against Fulham. And we got we cannot concede soft set-piece goals. You know, if you're going to set up that defensively and chances are going to be at a serious premium at the other end, you've got to make sure that everything is done to not concede. And I think that's where we kind of let ourselves down for the first time, really. Some, some really, really soft goals. Damn good goals from Villa. Certainly the second and third ones. But yeah, we'll be looking at that one as, like you say, got to learn from that. And we've got to learn from that fast. Um, the other thing I've seen, I've seen a few social media comments and I don't really like to give them the time of day, but I suppose it's, it is a talking point. Carlton Morris's numbers have dropped off a little bit, both in terms of his effectiveness on the ball and off the ball. Hasn't scored since Everton. Didn't have it. You know, Didn't come close to having a look in on Saturday. Is it a concern or is it merely a state of how the team is and the teams that they're coming up against and the lack of ball. I mean, to be fair to Carlton Morris, only one of those three home games, sorry, only one of those three, four games that he hasn't scored in have been kind of at home to a comfortable opponent. The other three have either been away or against top of the league. Is it a concern? Are you worried about Carlton's form? No, not really. I think it's going to happen. There's going to be periods in this season where everyone... It's, it's, they're not going to hit the heights, and for for a player like Colton, who can make things happen on his own, but still is a striker and still needs to be fed. And if you're not getting the ball to him, um, you know, what, what, you know, what's he supposed to do, really? Um, the good thing is, I suppose that you've got Adebayo, who seems to be chomping at the bit, and like I say, when he came on, looked really impressive. Um, and so there's there's options to change it if. Uh, if say it, it carries on but the thing is he's a senior player as well and I made the point a couple of podcasts or sometime this season when there are players that don't get dropped and throughout the spine it'll be the goalie Lockyer if he's fit marvellous and then Carlton even the midfielder midfield interchanges but he, he doesn't get dropped but it's a difficult one because how do you you can't take him out of the firing line because he is the firing line he's the guy that got 20 goals last season but then if he's not hitting the heights he was then usually you would come out it's a very tricky situation I'm not I'm not I'm not concerned in the slightest that there's an issue at all I just think it's you've got to Accept these ebbs and flows in form in the Premier League because it quite clearly isn't like it was last season. Yeah, I have no concern either. I mean, the thing with numbers is they can all be interesting to a point, but there's also context to all of these numbers. 
And the last four games that Carlton Morris has played, in fact, is it the, the numbers that I saw doing the rounds on social media are only the last three games. They weren't even including the Burnley game. So you've got Tottenham at home, two seriously top-class centre arses up against. You've got Forest away, where all the chances just fell to Brown. Mm. It wasn't like Morris was out of the game. The chances just fell to Brown. On another day, they fought to Carlton Morris, but it just, just didn't work out that way. And then on Saturday, I mean, there was so much space, because we're so deep, so much space between any Carlton Morris teammate and Carlton Morris for the majority of that game. He had, you know, even if he held it up, he was have to hold the ball up for so long for a teammate to get near him. Someone was going to get the ball off him. If it weren't the two centre-halves, it was the two sat in front of him. He was basically that kind of lone man in between a box of four. And ultimately, that don't come out on the numbers. And you just got to put into context the position, the role that he's played, the opposition that we've played against and where his teammates are on the pitch. And sometimes he's just isolated. Also, is the outball to him, is it accurate enough? Because if you want a man to hold it up, you've got to get it to him. And if you're pumping it long, just saying chase that, to hide into nothing, he'll chase it, but you're not going to get it. I mean, it's very rare that you get it anyway in, in professional football, but in the Premier League, very little chance of getting that anyway. So if his job is there to hold it up, and that's that's really what the the role is when you're playing one up top, you hold it up, try and bring people in. The gap, you're right, is a significant thing, because if they're not making that up, then... It's hard, but also if you're picking it, not if you're not accurate enough, and you, and it's not going to him, then that's a big problem, and 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 it will be a big problem over the course of the season. We see it quite a lot, not just in getting the ball to Carlton or getting out to players, but passes aren't accurate enough a lot of the time. Maybe a lot of the times over uh, over exaggerating it, but the reason the good teams, the big teams are so good is they do all those basics so bloody well. It's balls into feet or balls into the space in front of the feet, which keeps the momentum going. And sometimes that isn't where it is with, with Luton. And it's not just Luton, it's all the teams at the bottom. That's that's where they struggle with. It's the fundamentals and the basics, those things that um, you think are quite simple and every professional footballer should do it. But the top level players are just on point every single time. And that's what he's coming up against. Yep. Yeah, I've no problem uh, with Carlton's form or anything like that. Or if I do, I'll judge it against fairer opposition than um, certainly than the last three. So, yeah, I've no real problem. I'm more of a long-term looker of these numbers and he's still the leader in the Premier League for aerial duels one. So mm. he ain't doing, ain't doing too badly. If that's his primary role, both attacking and defending, is to win aerial duels and no one in the Premier League is doing it better I mean, you can get stats to prove anything you like, can't you? Really, if you're if you're going, if your view is that he's not performing well, and then you can go and find some stats to pick that out. But you've got to look at it over a longer period. I think, really, um, you know, it, it, it's a difficult one. I understand where people are coming from because they can see with their own eyes. Maybe he's not involved as much, but the whole team wasn't involved as much yesterday. I mean, Villa with that, could you have to give them credit? Have to, like I say, you have to keep giving them credit, but 29% possession doesn't get you a whole lot most of the time. No, exactly that. Basically, when you set up like that, your lone striker is on the pitch to hopefully get one chance and smack it in the back of the net, but it didn't even come. Uh, then either, it, you know, the chance that, the only real chance that came in the game was to Elijah, which Konza kindly 
nodded over his own goal and um, Martinez did the rest. Uh, yeah. So I think we've identified some positives. Um, just finish this podcast off. I mean, no, no Luton fan goes to any of these games wanting to see our team lose or happy to see our team lose. We're always happy to see our team fight to the bitter end, which we did. But as away days go, I mean, I thought the home fans were brilliant. Aston Villa fans, the standing ovation that 90% of the crowd gave to Marvellous when he went off was, you know, special. And I'm sure he'll have really appreciated that. Obviously, he's still firmly in their hearts. And uh, why wouldn't he be cracking footballer? We wouldn't be where we were, where we are, sorry, without him. And, you know, some of the sort of songs and banter and everything else, you know, when Luton was singing Conference Champions, you'll never sing mm. that. And some of the fans in the stand to our right-hand side were clapping it. And, you know, just the respect. It was proper, really. And I wish Aston Villa all the best, apart from when they come back here. And I'm sure that, judging by all the comments that we got in our preview podcast, they wish us all the best. Good football club. Like we said in the preview podcast, great stadium. Probably the best stadium we've been to this season. Well, it's not probably. It is the best stadium we've been to this season. Anything you wanted really was a bit of a different result. But ultimately, as we said right at the start, no, not many teams have gone there and only shipped a minus two goal difference. So, Well, I mean, they've scored three in every every is it every game this season? Or is it every home, every game, home game, yeah. Every home game. And so, I mean, we've been quite optimistic with my score predictions, but that was based on the result that happened at Forest. So, um, you know, I think it, nobody was unsurprised to see what happened it's just the I suppose the manner in which it happens and you don't want to give those soft goals away to them I mean let's they had some other great chances to be honest like Danny Olo as well so they could have it could have been more yeah the the the, the thing was you walked out of the ground out of the ground you knew you'd been beaten you knew you'd been well beaten you knew you'd been well beaten by a really good side but there was also a tinge of we could have done a bit better with the goals if they'd ripped us open and scored three worldies then fair enough, you know, that's the quality that they've got on the pitch. But that wasn't really the case. So maybe there was a bit of disappointment from there. But hey, you've got to experience that to learn from it. Because if you don't experience it, you don't know what you've got to learn from. So hopefully the next time we're in that situation, um, we will defend that better. Generally, we have defended better since that Chelsea game. So that bodes well. well we've got we've got recent... I mean, I know football memories are short, but we've got recent example of um, how it's going to go or how we have to play and dig in. When the first season in the Championship, yeah, it's a different step in quality in the Premier League, or a couple of steps even, but it was tough going in that first season just to get up to it. But if you can get in there, stay in there and stick it out, and you learn so much as showed in the season afterwards when it was a very comfortable, boring old season, wasn't it, for once? Um, I'll take next season being a comfortable, boring old season in this league. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, we've we've got experience of it. Um, If you really kind of look at it in the cold light of day, but most people don't, and football's an emotional game. Um, It's only when you're sort of sat here and going, yeah, well, I mean, it's happened before. it's uh, it's obviously always difficult to take because you want to win all the time, but you've got to understand the levels. I think most Luton fans do, and that's the main thing. They understand the levels, they understand, and that's why you get standing innovations at the end of the game. But also those things that we've already talked about, like going going towards, you go play for the whole game and don't give up, and people respect that and they show fight. 
the end of the day, if you get beaten by a better team, you've just got to hold your hands up. And and they did. Um, we knew they were going to be one of the hardest tests. They clearly were the hardest test so far this season, um, which, you know, they're going to come very thick and fast in the next uh, few weeks and stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said about the about the club, um, yeah, it's, it's a proper club. I really enjoyed all the comments we got on our last preview pod. There were so, so many. Just having a little bit back and forth with the Aston Villa supporters. They're delighted. They're in a great, they're in a great period for their club. You know, despite the results, we're still in a great period for this club. Um, and so I think the, the, the mutual respect there was quite palpable. Yep, absolutely it was. This is going to be a season where the little things really add up and hopefully enough little things equate to Luton finishing 17th at the very worst. And who knows, as we said earlier in this podcast, that own goal that Villa gave us might be significant down the line. You just don't know. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Our thanks, as always, go to the Hightown Club for hosting us uh, for this episode, to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for our intro music, and of course to Ed Smith Creative for the designs that you see on our sets and things. Please do keep your comments coming in. We do look at all of them. We reply to the serious ones and more often the non-serious ones. I like replying to the salty ones, to be honest. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, probably going to get a few more of them, more next week than this week, to be fair. Um, Yeah, so keep your comments coming in. Keep enjoying the podcast. Please do subscribe to our YouTube channel if you are watching us on video. Every subscriber we get means more to us and means we can bring you bigger and better podcasts both for the rest of this season and seasons to come. That's it for the Aston Villa Review Podcast. Our Liverpool Preview Podcast will be out later in the week. But until then, James, thanks for your company. And, uh, well, yeah, come on, you atters. Everyone in it has got these massive souls. We're looking people.